It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, Thursday, August thirteenth, two thousand and fifteen. Thank you for being here tonight. We look forward to hearing from you. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. And to the bottom of your video window, if you're listening to us live, is the chat room where you can sign in with other listeners. Listeners are signing in there, and more will come as we progress, hopefully. So you'll want to be in there so you can communicate with other listeners on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is away preaching in Michigan tonight. And in his place, I have a room full of guests, and I've got a guest Across the internet tonight, we'll start with uh, Jeff, who's across the table from me. Jeff, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, Jacob. I look forward to the study. Looking forward to being with you. And uh, uh, on the internet tonight, from Forest Grove, Oregon, we have uh, Brendan Ashby. Brendan, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. It's good to be here, Jacob. I appreciate you taking time to be with us tonight as well, Brendan. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Uh, and uh, behind the boards, we've got a new uh, uh, rookie uh, tonight. Uh, Kyle Barnes is here. Kyle is normally in the chat room when he can. He's been promoted to uh, board operator tonight. Uh, and, uh, Kyle, thank you for being here. Monty Overton is over Kyle's shoulder to make sure everything works smoothly. And he's got a microphone, so hopefully it's going to be going smoothly enough that Monty will be talking a lot tonight. And also, uh, beside Monty, we have... Arthur Haynes. Arthur, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thank you. Always a pleasure to study God's Word. And you're usually with us in the chat room. T- yes, but, sir. Uh, tonight, you're in person. And to me, uh, you know, like I have said, it's a highlight of my week to hear the Virtual Bible Study. And uh, a little-known fact, I think you can talk better than you can type. And so maybe you'll uh, maybe we can exactly get some right. more comments from you tonight, and we'll look forward to that. Uh, we have an interesting discussion uh, uh, about compromise tonight. I want to talk about compromise and the consequences that come as a result of our compromise. You know, I think a lot of times we think uh, that compromise is just a little thing. You know, getting a bind, getting a pinch, we'll bend a little bit here. We'll compromise a little bit so that we don't have to take a hard stand, so we don't have to take the consequences that come from standing for the truths of God's Word. But when you do compromise, there are consequences that come. They're inevitable, and we want to talk about them on the program tonight. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you, especially in the chat room tonight. If you're not signed in, sign in now and join us on the program. Compromise is everywhere in the religious world today, and we see the consequences of it coming home to roost, and many are unwilling to accept those consequences, and yet... They've laid the groundwork for them in years gone by. Earlier today, we sent a list of questions to you in your in- inbox. If you're not signed up on our list, you can S- send an email to questions at collegeview.com, and we can jo- sign you up for our mailing list. 
But earlier today, we said that we wanted to talk about this. This idea of compromise is highlighted in the recent concern over homosexual marriage. There are many in the religious world today who are concerned about homosexual marriage and say, how in the world could any religious group accept homosexuality as not being sinful, accept homosexual marriage as being acceptable to God, and yet many religious groups are doing exactly that. Yet, religious groups have been guilty in the past of compromising in areas of other sexual sins, especially of heterosexual sins, compromising, for instance, on God's teachings on divorce and remarriage, and accepting adulterous marriages as being acceptable and okay. And there are some folks in the religious world who are being consistent and honest enough to say, wait a minute, we've accepted heterosexual sins, why should we not accept homosexual sins? And we want to talk about that on the program tonight. I asked earlier today, number one, what information can you find regarding the denominational world's shift in opposition to unscriptural divorce and remarriage? Number two, Some have concluded that since Christians don't practice what the Bible teaches with regard to heterosexuality, that they should not condemn homosexuality. And we ask the question, do you agree or do you disagree? Number three, is it consistent to demand Bible authority in one area of our teaching and practice while ignoring the requirement for authority in another? In other words, must we be consistent? Do we have to demand a Bible authority in all areas of our teaching or can we pick and choose? Number four, what consequences of compromise do you see in other areas in the religious world? For instance, in the work of the church, in the worship of the church, and standards of morality. Are you seeing other effects and consequences of compromise? Number five, how would you answer someone that says we're just being too picky when we demand a Bible authority in all areas of our work and lives, both individually and collectively? We'll use those as a framework for our discussion tonight. We'll look forward to your responses to those questions and you're joining us in the chat room tonight if you are not logged in log in now we'll look forward to you hearing uh, being with us in the chat room tonight well we ask what kind of history do you have and of the denominational world's shift in opposition to unscriptural divorce and remarriage you know i think as predominant as divorce and remarriage are in the world today Monty and arthur you likely remember when divorce and remarriage was very uncommon in fact even frowned upon you didn't even mention the word divorce back in my younger years it was an ugly word did you know people who were divorced uh, not no okay now that's, that's yeah. significant right. Monty, not as old as arthur but the same experience probably similar but it was by the time i was coming along uh there was people in my family that were divorced and i had one relative that was divorced and remarried i think five times before they died and probably the first divorce was scriptural but after that they didn't stay with it but nobody really ostracized her for but there was still scandal associated with the idea of a divorce and remarriage brendan and jeff are the youngest in our audience tonight or in our group tonight Uh, Jeff, any shame among your peers when uh, they told you that their parents were getting divorced? It's not as prevalent, but I do think that some cases I did see it. Some, Brendan. Now you're out in uh, in Oregon. Um, Any uh, what what, what's the landscape like out there? Well, it felt like I was a rarity growing up in my high school. I mean, everybody seemed to be well this weekend. My dad's this weekend, and my mom's. Why me? I'm like. 
and my parents fight, but I still have both parents. So I, I was somewhat of a rarity. All right. Yeah. And so our culture has shifted, you know, and sadly to say the religious world has shifted as well. I've got some quotes from the Methodist creed book going back to 1896. In 1896, the Methodist Creed book, here's what they said on divorce and remarriage. No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful, and no minister shall solemnize marriage in any case where there is a divorced wife or husband living, but this rule shall not be applied to the innocent party to a divorce for the cause of adultery. Now that sounds uh, that sounds almost dead in line with what the scriptures teach on the subject. For instance, Brendan, I think you've got Matthew chapter 19, verse 9 pulled up. If you would yeah. uh, read read us there what, uh, what you read in Matthew 19, verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. All right. Now that sounds very much like what the Methodist Creed book was saying in 1896. Back in the time, now... Arthur, you weren't born in 1996, but the, the sentiment was similar to when uh, your childhood days, many years later. But in, 19, in 1914, society is moving, society is shifting. The Methodists are shifting along with the society. They're beginning to compromise. Notice this. Ministers shall be prohibited, prohibited in solemnizing matrimony between divorced persons except innocent parties who have been divorced for the one scriptural cause. Again, sounds scriptural, but in 1914, is this is when we start to see some compromise. The Methodists say, No minister shall solemnize the marriage of a divorced person whose wife or husband is living and unmarried, but this rule shall not apply to the innocent person when it is clearly established by competent testimony that the true cause for divorce was adultery. Notice this, they added, or other vicious conditions to which mental or physical cruelty or physical peril invalidated the marriage vow. They're starting to compromise. They've started to add some conditions that aren't found in the scriptures. They're starting to change their view on, again, heterosexual marriage and divorce. Now, this is going to lead and lay the groundwork to compromise that we're going to see the Methodists make on the subject of homosexuality. But we're seeing that when we begin to compromise, then we've opened the barn door. Arthur? You know, I, just, I was just thinking, you know, about why was it that Elizabeth, and after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself for five months. What might that have been? You yeah. know, it just seems like culture, what you're talking about. It's, it just seems like, you know, it's just so changed. And back in my day, you didn't even say the word pregnant. Yeah, well, culture certainly has changed. The sad yes. thing is that religious groups are changing along with the culture. Now, in 1960, the Methodists are still changing. Notice this. We read from their creed book in 1960. In view of the seriousness with which the scriptures regard divorce, a minister may solemnize the marriage of a divorced person only when he has satisfied himself by careful counseling that, A, the divorced person is sufficiently aware of the factors leading to the failure of the previous marriage, B, the divorced person is sincerely preparing to make the proposed marriage truly Christian. And C, sufficient time has elapsed for adequate counseling. I didn't see anything in there about adultery, fornication. All I saw was they just need to know what caused the marriage to break up, and they need to be committed that they're going to try better next time.
time. Where'd that time come in there? Yeah, I don't read it in the scriptures. And they're start- I don't and, either. And so, and this is a long, about the time when uh, society was beginning to uh, accept more and more uh, the idea of divorce. And then by the time we get to 1984, notice what the Methodist Creed book says. Where marriage partners, even after thoughtful consideration and counsel, are estranged beyond reconciliation, we recognize divorce as regrettable, but recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. We encourage an active, accepting, and enabling commitment of the church and our society to minister to the members of divorced families. They have now accepted divorce if it just couldn't be avoided. There's only one thing I like about that is the fact that minister to the divorced families. They're actually trying to teach. That, that's, 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 that's the one good thing I think that we can get out of that. They're, that they're is, wanting to do that, but the way they're going about it is totally wrong. Not by accepting right. the sin. You, right. don't, uh, you don't minister to sin, sinners <laughs> exactly. by accepting their sin, but you minister them by teaching them the truths of God's word. Exactly. Now, it should be as no surprise then, by the time that the Methodists have trampled all over the truths of God's word, by the time we get to 2015, the United Methodist Church leadership voted uh, to submit a legislative proposal that removes prohibitive language from the United Methodist Book of Discipline concerning homosexuality. The proposal would allow United Methodist pastors to perform same-sex marriages in United Methodist churches. This proposal does not consider homosexuality incompatible with Christian teachings even though Methodists have historically recognized the practice as sinful. We've seen throughout the years now, from this historical perspective, that the Methodists have gone from saying you can't be divorced and remarried except for the reason that Jesus gave when he was here on earth, to now saying, well, we don't believe that. If you, Just as long as you understand why the marriage failed the first time, Bonnie, as long as you realize that it failed and you want to do better next time, that's okay. And now they've gone all the way to saying, you know what? It doesn't even matter that Jesus said from the beginning God made them male and female. We don't even care about that anymore. If you want to have homosexual marriage, that's fine, and we'll perform the ceremonies. An uh, amazing shift, and it is the result of gradual compromise on what the Bible teaches. You know, they would have never done that. All in one one big step. It wouldn't have worked because if they'd have tried to go from the scriptural position they had at the first reference you read to, well, the next day we're going to accept homosexuality and, and we'll marry people in that relationship, they would have never done that. But it took time and gradually eroding away at, and compromise, as you mentioned, about the authority found in the scriptures and, and what did God say. And when you leave what God said on one thing, then logic dictates that you can leave what God said on everything. It doesn't matter. You've anymore. got to be logical and consistent. If and you're so going to be logical and consistant, then anything goes. All right. Uh, Brendan's got his hand up and on, on the Skype screen there. Brendan? Yeah, I would say it goes back even further. It, it starts with a priority shift. It went from having God as the priority to filling pews. I mean, that's where we saw the Christmas Eve services started. They were so concerned about people leaving their denominations to go to a Catholic church for a Christmas Eve service that, well, let's just have one anyway, even though we know it's not right and it's nowhere authorized. Let's just have one anyway. That way, at least they're in our pews instead of somebody else's. The fruits of compromise, as we see uh, over and over again in the religious world. 
Here's what uh, Anthony Donovan in the Orange County, California Register said about this. He said, some conservative groups believe that divorced people who marry another spouse are living in sin. However, the number of divorces in the United States has led most denominations away from that teaching. The pressure is, as our society shifts away from the truth of God's word, Monty, this newspaper reporter has enough common sense to say, you know what, a lot of religious groups are shifting their teaching to accept divorce and remarriage because, well, that's what the society wants. It seems to me a lot of that probably boils down to money because they've got all these programs that they want to do that they don't find in the scriptures. They've got these huge buildings they want to build. Well, if they start having, drawn, taking a hard line and this is exactly what the Bible says and this is exactly how we're going to be, then they're going to lose members. And when you lose members, then you've lost money and you can't do these pro- social projects that you wanted to be involved in. And so they've, they've relaxed their stance on things because there's a financial consideration there for them. All right. And, and go ahead, Jeff. Um, Mr. Roney brought this up earlier when we were talking about it in 1 Kings 12, um, verse 26. Um, the same mindset is seen in uh, King uh, Jeroboam. Says, Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the king kingdom will return to the you know, house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then they will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So we see the same concept there. That's why the we go on to see later that the idolatry, idolatry crept into their worship. Right. And worship places were built there instead of in Jerusalem right. where they were supposed to be. And we've got to take a break. But before we do, you gentlemen mentioned that we've got to be consistent. A preacher named Ken Wilson wrote this as he explains his compromise on homosexual marriage. Notice what he says. Now, he's going to be consistent. We've got to applaud him for at least being consistent. He's nowhere near being right, according to God's word, but at least he's consistent. He says, I have proposed a path for these pastors that allows them to embrace people who are gay, lesbian, and transgender, and to accept them fully welcome and wanted into the company of Jesus. I wrote a letter to my congregation when I realized my views had changed and I needed to communicate the intense theological, biblical, pastoral, and scriptural process that I had been through to get to this new place. It began with a burr beneath my saddle of conscience. Why was I willing to let so many divorced and remarried couples know that they are welcomed and wanted while refusing that same welcome to gay and lesbian couples. How could I say to the remarried couples whose second marriage was clearly condemned by the plain meaning of Scripture, you are welcome and wanted, while saying to the two mothers raising their adopted child together, I love you, but I hate your sin. He's very consistent. At least he's willing to admit, hey, we're not teaching what God said to teach about marriage and divorce remarriage, and so how can I accept these people who are sinful and say, well, God says you're sinners, but I'm not going to say you're sinners. Well, I'm saying these other people are sinners and not being consistent. And he's changed. He's changed the wrong way, but at least he's changed. Arthur? Um, Jacob, a number of passages come to my mind in, in Matthew 15 and 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctorings, the plural, the commandments of men. And when you're talking about the Bible, it's never plural. It's commandments of men. That's what they're doing. And it's for numbers. I don't want this day and time politically correct. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. We need number. We need money. 
Uh, well, we we see certainly there is some serious compromising being made, and yet uh, we have to ch- ask ourselves, are we compromising in other areas that could open up the door for further transgressions in our own lives? And we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. When we get back, Ken Wilson says he can't condemn homosexuality because he condones heterosexual sins. Is that right? Is it wrong to condone heterosexual sins and condemn homosexual sins? Is that inconsistency wrong? Do you agree or disagree? Let us know your thoughts. We'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study is back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten, there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty, there it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned, there it stands. Emperors decree its extermination, there it stands. Atheists rail against it, there it stands. Agnostics smile cynically, there it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it, there it stands. Unbelief abandons it, there it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration, there it stands. The flames are kindled against it, there it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it, there it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment, there it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. Here's some quotes worth pondering. It's quite possible to believe the word of God in theory, but to deny it in practice. It costs little to be a Christian, merely outwardly. In the final analysis, it is church members themselves who generally make or break a local church. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight, reminding you that we're talking about the consequences of compromise, and we're seeing it in the religious world all around us. We're seeing it especially in the area of homosexuality and homosexual marriage, where religious folks are up in arms saying we should not accept homosexual marriage, yet they've been accepting sinful heterosexual marriages for years. And uh, there's an inconsistency. Some are noting that inconsistency and saying, well... Since we've been inconsistent, we've got to accept homosexual marriage. We're talking about that inconsistency on the program tonight. Rick in the chat room makes an incredible, uh, important point. He says, not to be unkind, but Methodists are not the only ones who have compromised in the marriage, divorce, and remarriage arena. Many have done so in churches of Christ, practicing the same things you mentioned among the Methodists and others. If churches of Christ have been willing to compromise in the marriage question... We should fully expect some of them compromising and accepting homosexual marriage. Is that a is that a valid point, Monty? It's a very valid point. There's lots of of places that says Church of Christ over the door that are accepting and condoning unscriptural marriages. And so, if to be consistent, there'll be a sufficient amount of time to go by, and I have no reason to doubt that. But what they'll be accepting homosexual relationships also i'm afraid you might be uh right uh mani that uh, once you start to compromise then you've got to be if you're going to be consistent any compromise goes and any deviation goes along those lines 
Guest 8607 says, sin always takes you farther than you intended. Compromise is the same. It takes you farther than you intended and always in the wrong direction. And 8607 hits the nail on the head. We appreciate those comments tonight. Uh, Josh in the chat room says, compromise is a slippery slope. Once you start to get away from God's authority, then where can you find a stopping place? If we make one exception, then where is the basis to not make another? And Josh is exactly right. We appreciate those comments. Keep them coming in the chat room tonight. And uh, and before the the, the break, we talked about uh, Ken Wilson's uh, conclusion, Jeff, that, well, he's been accepting heterosexual sins and uh, adulterous heterosexual marriages. So to be consistent, he has to accept homosexual marriages. Do you believe that's the correct conclusion? Uh, Is it? Correct to say that since Christians don't practice what the Bible teaches in regards to heterosexual marriage, that they should not condemn homosexual marriage. I'm going to say anytime the truth is uh, taught, it's a good thing. Um, however, if we're living one way and uh, and you, if we're saying one thing and living another way, we're not going to be effective in our teaching. One, the, our example is one of the biggest tools we have when we're teaching people. And that's really how many people first realize that we're different in the light of the world. So why it's good that people teach, and, you know, we want people to stay as strictly moral as they can, but, you know, we, we by compromising, we put ourselves in failure. And, Jacob, All right, yes. am I, uh, will you just take, for instance, if you're, if you're teaching the truth on marriage, whatever the case may be, you can't accept anything but the truth on what the Bible teaches, whatever it be, heterosexual or whatever, gays or lesbian, whatever. But when you start just saying, well, because, you know, some of the people or the various congregations or churches will accept uh, uh, marriage or divorce other than what the Bible teaches, that justifies any other kind of marriage. It, it's unscriptural. Well, no, it doesn't justify any of it. All right, all right. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus makes the familiar statement, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Brendan, Jesus is saying that don't be condemning others if you're going to allow sin to exist in your life. It's interesting that the author here decides to go and accept homosexual marriage. He's kind of more concerned with respect instead of taking a good, hard, long look at the log in his own congregation, dealing with the log first, that's, dealing with the big problem. That's, that's true. Monty, Jesus didn't say, hey, you got a beam in your eye. Don't worry about anybody else. Jesus said in verse 5, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. And then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you've got to be consistent and accept everything. If you're going to accept that beam in your eye, you've got to accept the mote in your brother's eye. No, he said, get the beam out of your eye and then work on getting the mote out of the, your brother's eye. But realistically, the situation we're talking about, what the person should have said is, look, we've been teaching all along this homosexual thing is wrong. We've, we've missed the mark on this other. We're going to fix this other and teach that they're both wrong rather than say, well, we ain't been doing so good on this other. We're not going to do good on this either. Jacob. Yes. You know, how can you know their fruits Yeah. if you don't make some judgment? What did John, uh, John 7, verse 24, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. We are to judge 
but righteous and not according to your likes or dislikes. Absolutely, absolutely. So lots of comments coming in the chat room. Eric, I mean, sorry, Aaron in, in Texas tonight. I believe this is the same Aaron who's normally in Baton Rouge when he's in the chat room. He's in Texas tonight. It says, Rick, you're right. A few weeks ago, there was a program about instrumental music in a church in the Nashville area, and the preacher there addressed the question by talking about past controversies in that congregation, including the decision a generation ago to quit practicing what Jesus says on divorce. And uh, and certainly there are so-called churches of Christ who are softening and weakening their stand on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and that has to then uh, raise the question... Will these churches eventually accept homosexuality? If they follow the pattern that we're seeing, then the chances are that they will. Brendan? I would say yes. I mean, we're, we have a concern right now in Oregon that one of our biggest congregations is heading down that path. What used to be a clear distinction between them and another congregation in Southside Town is no longer there. The one in Southside Town holds to an unbiblical view of marriage, divorce, and remarriage and having fellowship with them, accepting their teachers. So the concern is that they're eventually going to see their way, and that could be, again, another slippery slope to accepting later apostasies down the road. All right. We've got to uh, take a break. When we get back, we want to continue the discussion. Uh, well, Aaron says he's moved to Texas. They're no longer in Baton Rouge. Well, we'll have to update our, our contact there. Um, we see that uh, that we have to be consistent. When we get back from the break, we want to talk about Bible authority in general and how that when people have compromised, it leads to all kinds of religious error that we're seeing in the world today. And so we'll get to that on the other side of the break. We're going to get a bullet point. We'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Jordan Spieth has taken the world of professional golf by storm. The 21-year-old is winning at a record pace. He won this year's Masters and the U.S. Open and just barely missed the win at the British Open. He's also won several other tournaments. Analysts are already comparing him to some of the greatest players who ever played the game. So what is the key to his amazing success? He follows this philosophy on the golf course, quote, aim small, miss small. He explains it this way, quote, the smaller the target that you pick, the smaller your misses are going to be. Thus, instead of just aiming for the fairway in general, Spieth aims for a specific branch on a tree. He usually ends up where he wants to be, or at least very close to it. He breaks down every hole into its component parts and then solves each of those parts in turn. The value of such an approach is obvious in the success that Spieth is achieving. Christians can benefit from a similar methodology when it comes to serving God. There are some huge challenges out there. The world is full of lost people. The moral climate is deteriorating. Temptations are multiplying. Discouragement seem to be mounting. What can we do? The answer is, pick a small target, take aim, and shoot for it. What do we mean? Well, instead of thinking of all the lost people in the world, most of which we will never have the opportunity to personally reach, think of your neighbor, your co-worker, your near relative. Aim to reach these with the gospel. Rather than taking wide, random shots at converting the lost, try reaching out to someone you already know and have a relationship with. This is a proven strategy that will work. Or, in regards to dealing with those temptations, try simple and obvious things that are sure to succeed. Turn off the TV. Limit access to the Internet and so forth. Take small, achievable steps toward the greater objective. Or, as Jordan Spieth says, aim small, miss small. 
That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877 877- 381 Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program, and we do appreciate you listening tonight. Let's say thank you for that. And if you're listening to us in the archive version, the podcast maybe, or maybe you just went to our web, uh, went out and found our audio on or video on Vimeo, or maybe you've never been to our website, we'll remind you that our website address is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Check us out there. Find out more about what we believe and practice. This program is brought to you by the College View Church in Columbia, Tennessee. And if you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to come and worship with us to find out more about what we believe and practice. We are committed to standing on the truths of God's Word, regardless of the consequences. And we are committed to being the church that you read about in the Bible, doing things that God has commanded us in His Scriptures, not compromising. If you'd like to be a part of a group like that, we'd encourage you to come and worship with us this Sunday. We're talking about the compromise and the consequences of it. Caleb is in Humboldt, Tennessee, submitted his email earlier today. Appreciate your email, Caleb. He says, I have to, I have to say one remark on this matter. While I believe that God's law should always rule all, I have a serious problem with people, both Christians and worldly people, that refuse service to homosexual people. If a person will make a wedding cake or wedding photos of people involved in adultery, photographs of children born out of wedlock, and those who've been married and divorced several times, why do they refuse uh, to serve uh, those who are homosexual? I'm not saying that any of these actions are okay. They're all sins in God's eye. But I do believe that several put certain sins, such as homosexuality, on a, up on a pedestal. We need to stand for the truth, period. Condemn all sin and teach God's word. If not that we are no better than the Pharisees who condemn some sins while overlooking others. And so Caleb, Ray, uh, Caleb weighs in on uh, the controversial issue of uh, those who are refusing service to homosexuals, specifically in homosexual marriage. Uh, makes some interesting points. Uh, any th- any comments there, Monty? Well, you know, several weeks ago, when, or months ago, when we discussed that subject, when that was a hot item in the news about the the refusing to make the wedding cake for the homosexual couple. That's one of the things that we mentioned was that in order to be consistent about that, you would have to refuse to make the wedding cake for any sin- sinful union. And so, you know, we even discussed that it might be time to get out of the business of making wedding cakes yeah. in order to be consistent on that. So the the person making that comment was correct. It, people are not being consistent if they're saying, well, I'll make a cake this couple, even though they're getting married in an adulterous relationship, but I won't do it for this other couple because they're getting in a sinful relationship. You know, they're kind of picking and choosing their sins, and that's not being consistent, and it makes things look bad for them. Brendan. That's the point I've been raising this whole time. It's why the denominational world lost the uh, gay marriage battles, because they did elevate one sin above the rest. They, they ignored the sin that was sitting in their pew and went over to the sin that had really no effect in their congregation, not justifying the practice, but people were picking and choosing sins. Absolutely, and that is compromise, as we've noted, and the consequences that will come from that compromise, Arthur. Uh, Jacob, I was just thinking about an individual who took a stand. Uh, This man, Joshua, in Joshua 24, and verse 15, a very familiar verse, 
He talk, he is telling those individuals, you choose this day who you're going to serve, whether it's the gods of the other side of the flood, but or the Amorites. But it's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you know something? If you look, look at Joshua, he is one of the great people of the Old Testament. He said that the people that as long as he was leader of the people, judge of the people, he said that Israel followed God all those days. And even after the, the, he had died and the elders had overlived him, they served God and then here all at once. You know, when Judges, I think about the second chapter, said, and there rose a generation who knew not God. Yeah, right, right. Absolutely. You've got uh, the, the compromise. We can see it over and over again in the lives of the Israelites. It starts out gradual. And then it it blossoms, and the consequences are great. Here's uh, Aaron, uh, who's in the chat room tonight, uh, sent in his email earlier tonight. We're glad for that. Thank you, Aaron. He says, I'm going to go off topic a little bit. Among religious people in America, the, the digression on homosexual marriage is at least partly a result of digression on heterosexual marriage, since it is hard to argue that homosexuals will do any more damage to the institution of marriage than has already been done by lax attitudes towards fornication and divorce. But there's another factor that, in my opinion, played a more prominent role. The inability of the average churchgoer to distinguish the Old Testament from the New Testament. This played itself out very publicly in the arguments by activists that since Christians were already deciding to ignore many facets of the Old Testament purity codes, they couldn't keep quoting Genesis 19 and Leviticus 20 to talk about homosexuality. Rather than pointing out the difference in the Testaments, some religious leaders actually adopted this argument and said plainly that they just ignore parts of the Bible that they don't like. Here's a quote from Susan Schneider, pastor of a Lutheran church in Madison, Wisconsin, quoted in the New York Times. She says, Yes, it is true that the Bible says some nasty things about homosexuality. It is also true that the Bible has passages that prohibit men from cutting their hair and forbid anyone from wearing mixed-fiber clothing or planting two different kinds of seed in their fields or eating shellfish. The Bible has commanded, or has also commands slaves to obey their masters, parents to stone unruly children, and upholds as heroes of faith men with multiple wives and concubines. Her point is that she believes that Christians have just decided for themselves that these instructions have passed the time of their usefulness. So why not this issue as well? Ignorance about the Old and New Testament distinction is the digression that opened the way for activists to insist that Christians cannot condemn homosexuality without being hypocrites. Religious people are completely unable to formulate any response to the question of why we don't follow Leviticus, and so they silence themselves on the issue of homosexuality as well. That, in my opinion, is the key compromise that lost the public debate. Thank you, Aaron, for those important comments tonight, and it is interesting. Jacob, you know, why can't we just say, well, Matthew 19, 9, Matthew 5, 32. That's what the Bible said. Just stick with that. Right. You condemn everything but that. Right. And it's no big thing, you know, if you just stick with what it's taught there, no scripture. That's right. Jeff? Uh, two points. Uh, first one uh, in response, I think Aaron makes a really good point, is when we don't teach effectively and we don't make the distinction of certain things, we will, if we're not teaching the entire Bible and people understand about authority. I mean, a lot of places don't teach about authority anymore. Uh, me and Brandon, uh, we went to a preacher training, and it's been talked about that, you know, authority is not talked about as much anymore in the in the religious world. All right. And I believe that's a big problem. All right. And it is a problem when we uh, consider 
what is going on here. As we begin to leave the necessity for Bible authority, then we open the door for anything that goes. Brendan, I think you had a comment? Uh, it was just the point that that shows lack of biblical, uh, there's an epidemic of biblical ignorance even upon the denominations. There's no more distinctive preaching. It should not be a compliment after you hear a sermon or you give a sermon and somebody says to you, well, I couldn't distinguish him from the Baptist or the Methodist. That's not a good thing. All right. We need to be distinctive in our preaching. Okay. Uh, and uh, we're seeing compromise in the religious world and we're seeing the consequences of it. Money. We're seeing it all over the religious world and the practices that are going on that bear no resemblance to what God has told us we should be doing in the scriptures. And, for instance, in the way that the church conducts its work or the way that the worship is conducted in the church, we've long since left the requirement for Bible authority, and now we have anything goes. You know, that's true, and that's like we've been talking about recently about the instrumental music issue. Uh, people got away from the Bible authority on that, and now... They've got into all sorts of things like we was talking about. Uh, that when they compromised on the music, then it led to a compromise. It became just a big entertainment venue. I know of some people recently that was talking about uh, their children went to church with a grandparent and the children come home and saying going to church with them was like going to a, uh, it was this entertainment thing in Gatlinburg. I can't think of the name of it right now. Yeah. But anyhow, it was like going to a, 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 big, entertainment, show. a, big, a big entertainment show was what going to church was at this particular place. And so, but it's because they've left the pattern found in the Bible to do what feels good to them, to do what makes them happy. And they're, they're trying to please the wrong one. And money. And all that was for, what, a dollar? Yeah. All right. Well, it is a, it, it, certainly some crazy things being passed off as being acceptable to God out there, and certainly they're not. Yep. And, and also, you know, we see the fact that, you know, and uh, we've got to be careful for those of us who are trying to establish Bible authority, that in matters of opinion, we don't push that kind of concept as well. Okay. Um, you know, the whole concept of Bible authority is not to take away or not to add to. That's right. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we all need to be careful, and that's why we need to constantly study, and that's why, um, you know, that that's why studying God's Word is so important and to have it enveloped into our hearts and our minds. And Jacob, oh, yes, you know, there's some passage verses there in Second John nine, ten, eleven that we must, as Christians, take very seriously, because he says there, whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He doth abide in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. And if anyone come to you and don't bring this doctrine, don't receive him in your house, neither bid him God's feet. For if you bid him God's speed, you'll partake of his evil deeds. All right. So we've, if we transgress and don't abide in the doctrine, we can transgress by not going far enough. We can transgress by going too far. We've got to abide in the doctrine of Christ in order to be pleasing to God and to, and to be in a relationship with him that he wants us to be in. Uh, we need to talk about Bible authority. Some people are saying you're just being too picky when you demand Bible authority for all of your actions, whether it be collectively as a church or individually. You're being too picky when you demand Bible authority. We need to talk about Bible authority, and we're running out of time. What we'll do is we'll take a break, and when we get back, we'll go to the top of the hour. Talking about the importance of Bible authority. We've talked about it before in the virtual Bible study, but it certainly bears repeating. We've got to have Bible authority for all we do. If we don't, then we are left to go down the same path that the religious world around us has gone down, where they're now accepting homosexuality because, well, we've got to be consistent. 
We ignored Bible teaching on other things. We didn't have Bible authority for accepting adulterous marriages. So now we're going to have to accept homosexual marriages. If we don't stand on the requirement for having Bible authority for all that we do, if we don't demand that, if we begin to compromise, then we've opened up the door and anything will go. And certainly we're seeing it in the world around us. We'll take that up on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We can go to the top of the hour right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Adolescent and preteens are swearing more publicly than ever, especially at school, experts say. Teens are more likely to drop casual expletives or fillers than the generation before them and have more trouble adjusting their conversation to fit their audience. The average adolescent uses roughly 80 to 90 swear words a day. The Internet, television, and other media may be making adolescents more comfortable with swearing, but it is their parents' own language habits that are the biggest influence. The most recent Gallup Youth Survey addressing the issue of swearing found that 46% of surveyed teens ages 13 through 17 use profanity at least several times a week or daily, while 28% said they heard their parents cursing a few times a week or on a daily basis. That information is via Deseret News. The Word of God says in Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 35, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words shalt thou be justified, and by thy words shalt thou be condemned. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Back on the program tonight, and we want to hear your thoughts in the chat room. Rick in the chat room says he tries to be consistent on the area of, uh, he's a photographer. He tries to be consistent in his uh Support of those who are getting married. He doesn't want to. He does not photograph those who are going to be in an adulterous relationship. He will not photograph those who are going to be immodestly attired at the wedding. We appreciate that, Rick. Thank you for your stand. And of guess eighty six oh seven says, "Fear God and keep His commandments." And that, that's what this discussion is all about. It's about the fact that we've got to fear God, keep His commandments. That implies that we've got to have authority for what we do, that we're doing what God said to do, that we have Bible authority for all that we do and practice. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Let's talk about some of those verses, some of those things that Jesus said about this need for authority. Jesus, first off, said, John 8, verse 32, and verse 8, 8, chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You can know the truth, the truth will make you free. 
that truth that's going to make us free is what? It's the word of God. Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, as he prayed before his crucifixion, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word is truth. That truth is going to make us free. The word of God will make us free. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That truth that will make us free is God's word. That word will produce faith in our lives. That faith will allow us to be pleasing to God. And then let's link that up with John or Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Romans 14, verse 23 says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he, he does not eat from faith. Notice what it says there. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Violates your conscience is a no. If you can't do it by faith, you're, do, you're sinning. Now, where does that faith come from? Romans 10, verse 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we don't have to go with that conscience. No, no. It's not up to just your con- up to your conscience. It's up to your faith. What has God said? You can't. If God hasn't said it, you can't have faith that it's what he wants you to do. And if you're doing it without faith, you're sinning. Plain and simple. You've got to have Bible authority for all that you do. That goes along with what we read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. We're told there... That everything we do, we've got to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jeff, that imply that means we do it by his authority. Right. We've got to do everything by his authority. And the only way that I can get that authority is from what Jesus said in his word, the scriptures. They tell me what I need to do. Right. Exactly. And um, I, I go along with that, Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training instruction, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All right, so the scriptures give us everything that we need to be adequately equipped for every good work. And so we've got to do it by faith. That faith has to come from God's word. If we don't have God's word on the subject, we can't do it by faith. We don't have authority. We're not doing it by faith. We've got to have Bible authority for all we do. And then we add Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19 to the discussion For John writes, For I testify to everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. We can't add to or take away. We've got to have Bible authority for all that we do. We can't, in other words, compromise, Arthur. We've got to remain firm on what God has taught. Jacob, you know, in Deuteronomy 4, I believe it is, it says the very same thing, add not to or take from. And right in the middle, somewhere around, I believe it's Proverbs, I didn't have time look it up, and just as you read Revelation. But you know also, what does he tell us Second Peter 1 and th- verse 3? According to his divine power, he has given us what? All things that pertain to this life and godliness through the knowledge of him called us glory and virtue. All things. What else do we need? The scriptures, the scriptures are all sufficient for us. They give us everything that we need. Brendan, you're raising your hand there. Well, I was going to bring up Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago in the, uh, to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, who we appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, which ties into Jude 3, the faith which is once and for all handed down to the saints. So all power is vested in Christ, and if Christ has said something, 
That should be good enough for us to do it. We've got to, we've got to follow it. Um, and Caleb in the chat room, we asked the question, how would you answer someone that says we're just being too picky when we, we demand Bible authority in all areas of our work, both and lives, both individually and collectively? Again, we've shown from the Scriptures, you've got to have authority for all that you do. Colossians 3.17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Romans 14, verse 23 says, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Therefore, if I can't read about it in the word of God, then I can't do it by faith. I can't, I'm going to be sinning. Caleb says, would a person tell their boss that the boss is being too picky when coming down on a workplace policy? Would a student tell their principal that the administration is being too picky with the school rules? No. The employee knows that, that he would be reprimanded, reprimanded, and the student knows that they would be punished. Why then does the world find it so hard to think that if we are to follow all these rules, we too must follow the Bible and all commands, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world age, Matthew 28, verse 20. Does the world think that Jesus lied when he said unto them, all that I commanded to you? The world thinks that Jesus surely didn't mean to follow at all. And so uh, Caleb makes some excellent points there. Uh, that we wouldn't, do, we wouldn't treat rules of man the way that we treat God's rules, Arthur. Jacob, you and I heard, uh, I think maybe two times here recently, about, uh, you know, I just can't believe in that whale or that big fish swallowing Jonah, I just, I can't believe in that building that ark. I just, I just can't believe that. Well, you know, when you start doing that, what do you believe? Just take what you please and do the other, just reject the other. That's right. You got to take it A double L all. Right, Monty, your thoughts? You know, when as he was mentioning a minute ago about Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20 says, teaching them to preserve all things that I've commanded you. Jesus said all. He didn't say some of it. And as we talked about in Revelation, it talked about not adding to, not taking away. So obviously Jesus, when they say we're being too nitpicky, obviously Jesus was being nitpicky about it. God was nitpicky about it. We talked about it recently about how because Nadab and Abihu offered the strange fire about which God had not commanded. He didn't say don't use that fire. He told them which fire to use. And when they did something different, God being picky or God being a legalist struck them dead, had the fire consume them. So we're just trying to be like we understand God wants us to be. Right. We're trying to do what we understand God has told us to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And if that's being picky, okay, God was picky about it. Why should I be any less? Arthur and Jacob, you all just talked about it a week or two ago, how that those Pharisees, yes, sir, Ray, these uh, awning and Cummins, uh, yeah, oh, we're going to just sort, sort these little garden herbs out and we're going to give that 10%. But... Look what the, he didn't say don't do that anymore, but look what you're rejecting. Judgment, mercy, faith. These ought to have done, not left the other undone. Yeah. You know, just hypocrites. Right. You know, what's convenient, what I like. Yep. You, you know, Jacob, un, unfortunately, it's because we have a false view of what God is in some points. Um, you know, people have made it to where God is, you know, so loving. Um, I actually just saw this today. God is a God of love. And there should be no fear of him. Um, I, I mean, we should love him, but that, that's taken it extremely to the other side. You know, you have to have love and you have to have the fear. You know, Jeffrey, it's, it's kind of like love, love with no consequences wrongdoing. Right. Yeah. 
believe but it's in Proverbs it says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. So do people say we shouldn't fear God? Well, the Bible says when we can learn to fear God, we're starting to be wise. And Brendan's about 1,200 miles away, I think, or more, and uh, he's raising his hand. He wants, to, he wants to get in on this. Go ahead, Brendan. Well, I was going to say is that oftentimes we, we tend to box God in our uh, plane of operation. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 tells us very clearly that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. God has the complete picture. We don't. I mean, Scripture even tells us that in John 20, uh, 20, 30 and 31. It says, therefore, many are signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. God has given us everything pertaining to godliness and righteousness and everything we need for this life. And he has done it because he has a complete picture and knows what will will not work. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, quickly, as we uh, get close to being out of time, we need to understand that we've got to have Bible authority. We, God has demanded that we follow his instructions throughout time. We we'll go back to the story of Noah and the ark. God was very specific. He told Noah what kind of wood to use, how to build the ark, how many, uh, how, how long it needed to be, how wide it needed to be, how, uh, one door and one window. Noah was expected to follow those instructions. Noah was not at liberty to add to that design. Put another window here. Put another door there. He wasn't at liberty to substitute for what God said. You know, God said, go for wood. That stuff's getting a little bit hard to find. That, that's a big arc. I imagine he was cutting a lot of the gopher wood around there. As it got as he got farther and farther along in the project, there were probably some oak and pine trees that he was walking right by to go and get that gopher wood. He could have said, I'm just going to substitute. No, he wasn't at liberty to do that. With it, go ahead. You know, we're also, you know, how we feel about something isn't necessarily true as well. And uh, we see that about Jake, Jacob and Joseph. Jacob truly thought that Joseph was dead. But that didn't mean that it was right. That's yeah. right. So feelings. our our feelings don't determine what's right or wrong. We're not at liberty to substitute or change or add to. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier, Monty, Nadab, and Abihu. Mm-hmm. They tell us that it's uh, that substitution is simply not allowed. You know, that's what we learned there. And and they should have known that because when God was giving Moses the law and giving him all the instructions and all the details of all the things they were supposed to make, he told him be when you go back down there and be careful to observe and make all these things after the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So, uh, Mark was reading. What right there, it's the word you can't yeah. read. That's what you're saying. Is yeah. that the, I but, but he's, yeah. he told him, be careful to do it just like I showed you. So he told him what he wanted to do. Obviously, he showed him somehow, made a manifestation of what it was supposed to look like and what he was supposed to do. He even had him write it down for them, what he was supposed to do. So God went to a lot of trouble to make sure they understood exactly what they were supposed to do and said, be careful to do it. And so we see the first time apparently that they got away from being careful was Nadab and Abihu, and we see the consequences of it. And there's no reason to believe that the nature of God has changed in any way that to believe that he's any less strict about what he wants us to do. As we read about in Revelation a little bit ago, don't add to, don't change. That's right. God has throughout time demanded that his followers follow. And make him the Lord. And Malachi, follow him and obey him. Malachi said, I'm the Lord, I change not. There you go. Hebrews 13, chapter, it says Christ is the same today, yesterday, and evermore. And see, what Monty was saying was correct. Uh, Hebrews 8 
in verse 5, who served an example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. See that I saith he that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. All right. All things. All right, Brendan, you've been raising your hand over there all night. We've ignored you a lot of the night. You've got something in the chat room that's a good place to end. Why don't you uh, cite the passage you had there? Uh, Philippians three seventeen, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. God, throughout the entire sacred text, has always told us there is a pattern. Well, and if we can find that pattern and follow that pattern, we can't be wrong. That, that is true. And if we don't follow the pattern, we end up where the religious world is today. And that's the point of our discussion tonight. If we say, well, I'm not going to follow the pattern here. But I'm going to demand you follow it here. You can't do that. You can't do that and be consistent. The religious world is realizing that now. They've been ignoring the teachings of the Scripture on heterosexual relationships, and now homosexual marriage and homosexual relationships are thrown in their face, and they have no ground to stand on. They must accept them if they're going to be consistent. That is the consequence of compromise. It happens in the area of morality. It happens in other areas as well. When we fail to stand on the Scriptures, we fail to demand a Bible authority for all that we do, then we get left in a position where uh, we are totally disregarding God and his work. All right. Any other thoughts in the room? I uh, just want to say, you know, we in Second uh, Samuel 7, we found out um, David has this great idea to build a temple. And he talks with it to, to another man of God, Nathan. And they both say, oh, this is a good idea. This is so great. But they forgot to ask God. And God goes on to tell them, I didn't ask for that. Right. And, I, of course, I'm paraphrasing that. But... I mean, the general theme there is God, just because God, when God says something, we need to act, and we don't need to act if he hasn't said. Absolutely. We've got to have Bible authority for all that we do. Monty, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Arthur, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Quite a pleasure. And uh, Jeff as well. Thank you. And uh, Brendan, appreciate you for joining us all the way out in Forest Grove, Oregon tonight. Thank you. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Yeah, I look forward to talking with you in the future. And, uh, Kyle, excellent job. Uh, First time at the Wheel tonight on the board. Appreciate you getting us on the air tonight. And we appreciate you for listening to the program. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.